3 John, 3 John in chapter chapter 1, I'm going to spend the longest time in one chapter. I didn't plan for this to be on the second Monday or second Sunday of January, second uh, week of the month of the new year, but it kind of worked out this way as we were looking as I was looking at the uh, the, the passage here. I I want to uh, almost say you could you could could have used this a little bit uh, in theme with the New Year's of last Sunday, but uh, I think it still makes a pretty good application there. This idea of having a, a healthy soul. Uh, for many people, January is the time to make New Year's resolutions. I won't ask you uh, who, who makes New Year's resolutions, but you know who you are, right? If you've already broken them, or if uh, you're just uh, you're calling them February resolutions now, or it was just a it was just a beta test, or it was just an experiment to see uh, if I could do that. Uh, statistics tell us that over 40% of Americans have made or will make at least one New Year's resolution this year. Four out of ten people make one. The rest of us just quit trying a long time ago. And so uh, the four of you are still trying to figure out how to improve your life. Usually our resolutions are about losing weight, getting in shape, um, becoming financially stable, improving various relationships. Unfortunately, research tells us that 40% uh, that though 40% make a resolution, 92% of those people do not keep or reach their goals. Put that down on the bottom shelf. If four out of ten people make a resolution, three and a half of them don't keep it. Okay, that's that's the odds are not really good uh, for New Year's resolutions. In fact, I was looking at the numbers week by week. Twenty-eight percent break it within week one. If you made a resolution on Jan- January first, December thirty-first, and you're still keeping it, you are not part of that twenty-eight percent. Congratulations, you made it seven days uh, without doing the thing that you promised you wouldn't do. By the second week, it goes up to 32% who fail. By the end of the month, 42%. 56% of the people don't make it to the six-month mark. That's crazy. You know, we think about it. That's why we keep making the same resolution every year. You know, I'm, I'm going to make a resolution to not make any more resolutions, and that's a pretty good one to keep. I can, I can keep that one pretty I'm going to re- make a resolution to eat more chocolate this year. I can keep that one. Uh, I never break that one. I can make a resolution to, to drink coffee or uh, to, uh, to to exercise once, you know, I can I can mark these things off. Uh, I did my uh, snow burpees yesterday. If you're on Facebook, you saw that. Uh, that was not a resolution. That's not something I plan on doing regularly. But uh, I was out there trying to trying to. Uh, I was a little I was a little bored, so I got I went out there and did that. John here in his letter kind of writes about what we would call New Year's resolutions. He's writing this letter to his friend Gaius, and we don't know a whole lot about him. As I said a little bit about Second John last week, that there's not a lot of background information for us to really find out what, what, what's going on. Third John is kind of, the same, uh, kind of the same story for that with as far as background information goes. But John begins this letter to his friend by wishing his friend all the things that we usually hope for and try to plan for every new year. John wishes for his friend in verse number two. He says, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prosper. He's, he's, uh, he's saying that he wishes for his friend to prosper secularly or materially, in whether that be success in business or success in his friendships, his finances, or maybe just whatever endeavor he tries to, uh, he embarks on uh, in that year. Albert Barnes commented on this verse that prosperity includes uh, success in business, happiness in domestic relations, 
or prosperity in any of the engagements and transactions in which a Christian might lawfully engage. So he's talking about anything about life. He's saying, I want you to prosper. I want you to have a good new year or a good life. I want you to, to uh, the verse specifically says, that you may prosper. I want you to succeed. There's actually only four times in the New Testament where this uh, word prosper is used like this. Twice are used in the same Two of those are used in that verse. And, and John's saying, I want you to prosper. I want you to have a good business year. I want your bank account to look, to look good. I want it to be in the black. I want it to have some surplus. I want you to lose that five pounds you've been wanting to lose. I want you to uh, you know, finally make amends with that friend. Or I want you to get that promotion at work. Or I want you to cross off a few lists off your bucket list. Uh, something I want you to do, and I, I know you want this, and I want this for you as well. Not only does he wish him uh, prosperous uh, materially or financially, he wishes him uh, physical health as well. He says there, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health. So he wishes him bodily health. Now, maybe Gaius was one who suffered poor health and, and, and John is wishing him to improve his health. Or maybe he was, uh, he was already enjoying good health and John is just saying, hey, I hope that you will enjoy continued good health these are New Year's resolutions, right? And we said, as we looked, as I looked at research, I told you that most resolutions have to do with these things right here. It has to do with losing 10 pounds, has to do with eating less uh, junk food, has to do with, uh, you know, go, getting up an hour early or, or getting more sleep or working out more often or something like that. And all these things apply to what John wishes his friend. That's not uncommon. That's not unusual. But what we find at the very end of that verse strikes me as unusual because he wishes these things, not just material success, not just prosperity and good health of his friend, but he wishes those things to the extent of his soul's prosperity. He says the phrase, even as your soul prospers. What he's saying there is, I wish for life to be as well financially for you as it is well with your soul. I hope that you enjoy good physical health just as you enjoy a healthy soul. I want all your relationships to be as healthy and as fulfilled as your soul is. I wish for all your physical endeavors to be as successful as your soul is. When we read about the word soul, if we were to look in a Greek uh, uh, New Testament, uh, that's the same word as whenever you see the word life or lives in the New Testament. So when the Bible is talking about your soul, it's talking about your life. It's not talking about your body it's talking about you. It's talking about the thing that you have that God gave you. It's not what you have or what you look like, but rather your soul is who you are. So then the question comes, and as I read it, and I studied and asked myself, how healthy is my soul? How successful or how prosperous is my soul? That's the question for you this morning. Do I have a healthy soul? I mean, we use that word so often, but really, what is my soul? And How do I have a healthy soul? I can go to a doctor, and he can tell me how healthy my body is, or unhealthy it is. I can go to a, uh, a financial planner, and he can tell me how healthy my bank account is. I can go to uh, a counselor, and, and he can tell me how healthy my relationships are. But where do I go? Who do I find to tell me if I have a healthy soul? And if I don't have a healthy soul, how do I fix it? How do I improve my health, uh, a healthy soul? What would our relationships, think about this, 
what would my relationships look like if they matched the health of my soul? If I were to go and check my bank account, run down to the ATM, you know, you push that button, check out if you got any money in there, and it matched the health status of your soul, how much money would you have? What if uh, your relationships were as healthy as your soul is? What if you went to the doctor this week and you got a, a report based on your, your body's health, based on the health of your soul? How would, that, how would that look? Would you be excited? Would you be discouraged? Would you be, uh, would you be in, in tears? Would you be uh, over, overjoyed? Because that's what John is wishing his friend here. And I believe that Gaius had a healthy soul. Otherwise, this would have been like uh, an ultimate curse. You know, like, I, I want you to be as, as, you're a wretched, horrible person, and I hope that the rest of your year looks exactly like in the, your black heart does. And I think, John, I think Gaius had a, had, a, had, a, had a good, healthy soul, and John was saying, I hope that every other part of your life raises to the level of a healthy soul that you, that, you, that you have. How often do we let the outside, the external influences, determine our well-being? Let's do a little mental exercise here this morning. You get a pay raise. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. Got a pay raise at work. How you doing? Oh, I just got back from the doctor and clean bill of health. Everything's looking good. I just uh, got together with some friends, and, and it, was, it was good. I'm, 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 it's a good day. The sun is out shining. It's warm. Or uh, you're one of those three people that like snow, and, and, you're, and you're like, oh, man, we had 16 inches of snow, and it was awesome. You know, we, we look at the outside around us many times, and, we, and that determines how we're doing our well-being. Conversely, the, it's, it's true as well. I just lost my job. It's not really a good day. I just lost a friend. We just had a big fight, and, 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 and that, that relationship is, is uh, unstable at the best and maybe gone at the, at, at the worst. Not a good day. I just had a fight. I just, I just, uh, I just lost a, a bunch of money. I just lost my job. I just lost a loved one to death. Maybe it's not a good day. Maybe uh, I didn't get as many. I had a good day when, when I thought about the things that I got for Christmas until I saw what my friends got for Christmas. And now it's not so good. Yeah, you ever, you know, you walk outside and you ever see someone when they get a new car and they're trying to be a good Christian and not brag about it, but they're really excited. They got a new car and you automatically start comparing their car to your car. Well, my car doesn't have as many cup holders as their car does. His car has remote start, heated seats and cooled seats. You know, and we start, I was fine with my car until I saw someone else got a better one and now you know what, maybe it is time to trade in this thing. And after all, it is a, it is a, a one-year-old model, or it is, it is five years old. I mean, goodness, I mean, it's getting really old. I wouldn't use my toothbrush this long. Maybe it's time to get a new car. And we start weighing these things, all because of external influences. We focus so much on our physical condition. We devote time and money and energy to improving and maintaining our physical condition. And that's not bad. You know, uh, people join a gym in January is usually when it all when everyone joins and February is when they all quit. That's why gyms make you buy a year membership because they know you're not going to use it, but you're locked in. And, 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 and we, you know, if you ever if you go to a gym, 
uh, you notice that January, it's really hard to find anything you want to get on. But come February or December, you can get anything you want, and there's no waiting time. Uh, but th- we focus a lot on our physical. We focus a lot on our financial. We focus a lot on our social, and those aren't bad. We focus on relationships, and those aren't bad. But let me ask the question, do we pay attention to our souls? Paul wrote to Timothy in in his, first, in his first letter to him, in chapter 4, he says, Exercise thyself rather unto godliness, for bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. He's saying physical exercise does profit you some. I mean, it'll keep you alive a little longer. But we're all going to die. doesn't matter how healthy you are. doesn't matter how uh, fat and out of shape you are. You're going to die. If you're healthy, you might live a little longer. If you might, you might enjoy a better quality of life, but it's only going to profit you so much. It's not going to be, there's not a magic pill that makes all of your life better just because you can bench press a certain amount of weight or just because you can fit in a certain size pants. Same thing with money. Uh, it's not bad, uh, but it's not going to fix everything. We've all met miserable, wealthy people. They never have enough. Uh, they're, they're still looking at getting something else. Uh, we look at people all the time with tons of money and then they kill themselves. You think that it certainly can't. It tells me that money doesn't buy happiness or it doesn't buy something that lasts. It doesn't buy joy because that man had everything he wanted or that woman had everything she wanted and it still wasn't enough for her. She was depressed. She was lonely. Uh, or you can have a lot of friends and still it doesn't fix everything. What is it that I need? Paul tells me that it's, it, it, it's, it's not bodily exercise. It's not focusing on the outside. It's not focusing on the physical. Your physical, your financial, your social, marital, relational status is important, but not as much as the condition of your soul. Jesus said in Mark, uh, Mark 8, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? He's talking about salvation there, but the question still applies. Your soul is what matters the most. You can gain the whole world, have all the friends in the world, have all the, uh, the money in the world, have all the, 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 the fancy things of this life and still have an unhealthy soul. And Jesus said, what good was that? He was speaking of you're going to die and go to hell and who cares what you had. But in this life, let's just isolate the 70 plus years that you and I have on this life. If I have all those things, we've all met people that have all those things. And yet they're still not happy. And we've all met people that don't have those things. And yet for some reason, though we may not be able to pinpoint, put our finger exactly on it and say, that's why they're happy. We could say they have a healthy soul. Why are they happy? They don't. Has anybody ever been able to go overseas, maybe on a mission trip? You've been to what we would consider a third world country. Raise your hand. You've been on it. Okay, a few people. You, have you ever been there and you're thinking, goodness, they, I, you know, I was mad because I lost my phone charger and now I don't have my phone for three days. These people don't even have electricity. These people live in cinder block huts. These people don't have shoes. Uh, you know, my, I was worried about getting a bigger TV because it wasn't, it wasn't big enough. And these people, they're, they're just wondering where they're going to get lunch. Maybe dinner. Maybe they don't have anything. You know, and yet they're happy. They're smiling. They're they're not healthy. They're dying at eight. You know, the young ages. 
I live longer than they do. I have more money than they do. I have more possessions than they do. I have more friends than they do. And yet, they have a healthier soul than I do. Because those things aren't what matters. I believe there's a lot going on in John's letter, but John gives us insight as to what a healthy soul is like through his friend Gaius. I think it's very interesting as we study all three letters that John wrote, John begins writing to many churches, not anyone in particular, the first letter of John. His second letter was to a specific place, uh, either to a specific woman or to a specific church, and he begins to narrow his focus down because now we get to a specific man with a name, Gaius, in a specific place in time and location. This letter, though we include it in the Bible and we read it, think about it, was not written as an instruction to everybody. It was written to one person. Can you imagine if you were Gaius knowing that part of the Word of God is a personal letter to you? We have the benefit of being able to look at that and learn some things, and I believe that we learn through John's letter a little bit about Gaius, and, a little, and we learn a little bit about his healthy soul and what we can do to have a healthy soul. So two things that we can maybe add to if we wanted to take more time and look at it, but two things from this passage that we can see this is what a healthy soul looks like. We see it in verse number three, the first one, a healthy soul walks in the truth. This is a phrase that we've seen so many different times in John's letters, but we see one of the perks of the benefits of having a healthy soul is, uh, I'm sorry, one of the perks of, of walking in the truth is that you have a healthy soul. He says, uh, for I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Remember last week I showed you the verse in 2 John that John was saying, I have no greater joy than hear that of thy children are walking in truth. Some of your kids are walking in truth. Maybe Gaius is one of these children John's referring to, but he's saying, you are walking in truth, and that's the greatest joy that I have for one of my children, uh, one, of the, one of my children in the faith. Spiritually, I've fathered them and brought them along. I've been a father. I've been like a dad to them, and I have no greater joy than to find that they continue to walk in the truth. And that's what John says, and I believe that's the first insight that we find to the spiritual soul, uh, the spiritual health of, John, of Gaius' soul was that he walked in the truth. Let me give you a little bit of a background. I think next week, either one or two more weeks that we're going to be in 3 John. But let me just give you a background on what's going on in 3 John. There's three big names that we find about in the book, in the book of 3 John. We find this man named Gaius we're looking at today. There's another man named Diotrephes, and there's another man named uh, Demetrius. Diotrephes was a leader, I think, in the church that Gaius was belonging to. And Diotrephes was very insecure, very proud, very selfish man. And what was, what was happening here, actually kind of the opposite what was going on in 2 John, as we looked in 2 John, as these false teachers were traveling, and John was warning the lady there, saying, don't receive them into your house because love draws the line. You have to have love with truth. You can't, you can't just accept them just because. There's got to be a line where you draw it and say, I'm sorry. And he says, don't receive them into your house. Don't wish them Godspeed. Uh, send them on, you know, let them keep going and spread their lies somewhere else. In 3 John, we see the other side. We see real, uh, good people coming through, spreading the truth. They're spreading, uh, they're spreading the truth about who Jesus is. And Gaius was one of those people that would receive them into his house and he would help them out, whether it be food or lodging or whether it be uh, uh, money. I don't know what Gaius specifically did, but he did something that allowed them to continue their ministry. They had come back to Paul 
and reported of this incredible man, this incredible servant, this giver, this generous man uh, named Gaius. And Paul's like, I know, or John's like, I know this guy. And John writes him back, hey, uh, I just heard some great things about you from the traveling missionaries. Well, Diotrephes was one who didn't want to receive these guys. And if we read on through, and as we'll see next week at least, that Diotrephes would not let them come into the church, and anybody that was welcoming them, he would kick them out of the church. So if, 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 if I'm Diotrephes, and you're Gaius, and I believe that this could have happened to Gaius, those traveling missionaries come through, uh, and, and, and there, there's, here's uh, Dennis and Janie, and they're, they're, that's Gaius, and they're going to take care of people. And I find out, say, I didn't want them in the church. You're kicked out. Don't, don't even come back here. Can you imagine that? Being kicked out of your church for showing Christian love. To a missionary. I mean, this is really where we, where we understand the modern missions movement of how we operate as a church. We can't go, but we support those who do. That's what Gaius did. As I read through this, I'm like, this is missions right here. And Diotrephes didn't like any of that. And I believe that Gaius was a part of this situation. This expands my understanding of how healthy Gaius' soul was because he didn't belong to a healthy church. The leader was insecure. The leader had kicked him out. He lost many of his relationships, and yet he had a healthy soul. He was a giver. And the Bible says that a healthy soul there because he walked in the truth. As I said, traveling missionaries had come through, and he would, he would welcome them and receive them. And John brags on him in verse, uh, verse number 5, uh, thou, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers. And, and it says there, these were people he didn't even know. It's one thing to show Christian love to my brother that I know. It's another thing to show Christian love to someone I've never met and maybe never will meet again in my life. And yet Gaius was the one who would do that. He was probably the one in the church when someone needed something, everyone knew Gaius was going to be helped. Uh, if, if there was a sign-up sheet to bring someone a meal, Gaius was signed up. If someone needed a place to stay, Gaius' home was open. If there was something to do at a widow's house, maybe Gaius was going to be there. You knew you could count on him. That's the type of man that I imagine Gaius to be. And John's bragging on him about this. And Gaius maintained a healthy soul by walking in the truth. And this is evidenced by his love for the family of God. We read so many times as we read through 1 John and even into 2 John, that John draws a parallel between walking in the truth and having Christian love for, for the family of God. He says, he says many times, as recently as, as 1 John chapter 5 and verse 2, I'll read it to you, it says that uh, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and we keep His commandments. So when I have the truth about Jesus right, when I walk in the truth of God doctrinally, it is revealed in my actions to you. He showed last week that I, I best show love to my neighbor by doing what God tells me to do, by keeping his commandments. And that's what John is doing, or and that's what Gaius is doing here. He is walking in the truth, and it is revealed his love for God is exposed in his love for other people. Peter talks about this in his, in his first letter. He wrote in 1 Peter 1.22. It's just a couple of pages back, so I want to read this to you. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22. He talks about purifying your soul. He says, seeing ye have purified your soul in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart, fervently. And he draws a, a, a line between purifying your soul and obeying the truth, which leads to a sincere and earnest, uh, a, a fervent love for the Christian family. In his second letter, in chapter 2 as well, Peter talks about the opposite of this. 
Uh, he talks about a man named Lot. Lot, we read about him in the book of Genesis. He was Abraham's nephew. And the Bible says that Lot had grown up in a, in a pretty decent uh, uh, surroundings. He had a lot of uh, financial uh, he had a lot of financial holdings. He was a very wealthy man. He had a large family. He must have had some leadership because as we read about the story of Lot, he was sitting in the gate of, of Sodom there. He was, he was a, an influential man. But we read about Lot in Peter when he writes in verse, uh, in verse number two, and he's not even speaking about Lot, but he throws this little, this little nugget out there for us and we can grab it. He says, and delivered just Lot, vexed with filthy conversation of the wicked, For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Uh, The opposite here is is someone who vexed, who tortured his soul every day by living among, associating with, seeing and watching those who do wickedness and evil all around him. He lived in maybe the most corrupt city of all time And the Bible says that because he subjected himself to that, he had a tortured, a vexed soul. That is not a healthy soul, folks. He had a lot of good things. He had so much uh, cattle or livestock or whatever it was that he and Abraham couldn't live together and they had to part ways because there wasn't enough ground to feed all of his... He had a lot of that. He had a lot of children. He had a lot of influence. Uh, when When we read about his story in Genesis... We read that he had risen to some type of prominence in Genesis. He had all the things except the thing that really matters, a healthy soul. And though he enjoyed great financial successes, there was no Christian community, no opportunity to show love to the brethren. Instead of a healthy, prosperous soul, he had a tortured one. So the first attribute of a healthy soul is someone who walks in the truth. It's evidenced here by my actions. The second one is, 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 is a soul that works for the truth. It continues with the, with the narrative of how John treats these missionaries. But he goes down into verse number 8, and he, and he explains the, the plight of these traveling missionaries. In verse number 6 and 7, he said that they've been traveling. In verse number 7, that for his name's sake they went forth. These people were going uh, forth for the name of Jesus, trying to spread the truth, trying to spread the gospel, and it says that they wouldn't take anything from the Gentiles. They were trying to reach these people and to, to show their sincerity, to show that they weren't trying to you know uh, uh, get something out of these people. They weren't snake oil salesmen. They wouldn't take anything from the Gentiles. They wouldn't take anything from the people whom they were trying to reach. And so they relied on the support of the churches from men like Gaius. And Paul tells, or John tells him here, we therefore, verse 8, ought to receive such, these types of people, that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. John says, when we do these things, what you're doing, continue doing it. Because when you do these things, you become a partner with them to the truth. You work for the truth just as they are. Though you're not the one boots on the ground in those cities, by supporting them whenever they come into your place or by helping them get to the next place, you have become a partner with them. It's much like what John warned the lady in Second John when he said when the false teachers come in, don't support them. Don't receive them because you become a partner with them in their spreading of the lies. And so if you let them in your place, you uh, uh, give them room and lodging and, 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 and you do all these things and maybe even a gift to help them send them down the road, or even when you just wish them Godspeed, just 
have a blessed day. Have a good day. Uh, hopefully you do well in your next place. John says you become a partner in that. But John's saying here, the opposite is true as well. Guys, when you find people who are working in the truth, get on board with them and help them in whatever way you can because that makes you a partner in the truth. This is, how I, this is why I said this explains the modern missions movement. We can't all go everywhere. We can't go to Nigeria. We can't go to Ghana. We can't go to England or, or Bermuda or wherever. We're, where, we can't go to these places, but there, God calls specific people to go to those places, and we can help by paying for them to go, by praying for them. When they come back, we, 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 we hey, what do, you, what do you guys need? I heard you guys need a van. Can we, can we help you with that? Heard you need a building. Heard your, uh, heard your kids are sick. Heard your, uh, you, you, you got to get back for an emergency and it's expensive and you don't have lots and lots of money. Uh, let me help you out. Let's do what we can. And, and this church, hey, we, we're big into missions. We want to help those people. That makes us fellow helpers to the truth. Now, this church as a whole is really big into missions. Let me just ask, what about me? I don't benefit from the church's healthy soul, okay? So, as a person, I'm not asking how much do you give to missions. This is, this is not a mission sermon. But I'm asking, where is your soul on the health scale? Would you, would you be kind of sickly, weak, scrawny? Or would you be healthy and fit? And, and, and we, we see that in, are you walking in the truth? And that's evidenced then by, how do you treat one another? How, how do we look out for each other? How do we, how, what, what, do we what, is, what is our speech? What is my life? The Bible word there, conversation. What does it say about Jesus? The way I live my life every day. What does it say about Jesus? I know I go to church that preaches about Jesus. And I know my, you know, the, my code that I, you know, the, the party line is that we believe that Jesus is, is the priority and he's the main thing and all that stuff. But day to day, how I live, what does that say? We see it as well in how I work partner with the truth. What am I doing to get involved with the work for the Lord? What am I doing to help further the kingdom of God? Gaius got involved in the work of these traveling missionaries as they passed through town. And though he was not personally going to go abroad with the gospel, his support and care for these missionaries allowed him to be a fellow laborer with them. Jesus talks about this, getting in the yoke in Matthew chapter 11. He says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. He's talking about having a rested soul, and it's almost a paradox because if you want to have a rested soul, what you got to do is you got to get in the yoke and start working. You got to get busy. I know our bodies need to rest by stopping work, but our souls find rest in the yoke. And Jesus is saying there that He says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. There is work to do, and if you get in the yoke with Me, you will find that your soul is at rest. Huh, so good. Can you imagine how Gaius must have lived in this place and in this town with this type whether diatrophies was the pastor or whoever he lived among these people trying to do his best for the glory of god and maybe the burden was even more than one person should have to carry because diatrophies in the church officially would not help them out and maybe gaius is having to do a little bit more than if everybody had gotten involved but he had a healthy soul because of it. 
He worked for the truth. Notice that neither of these things are based on external or material influences. Gaius already had a healthy soul, and John was wishing everything else to be raised to that level. Jesus tells us in Luke 12 that the life is more than just food and clothes. It's more than the outside things that I have. But those are the things that we worry about the most, right? I'm hungry. What about, what am I, I got to get new clothes. These are kind of getting old. These aren't in style anymore. And, it, and we can expand food and clothes to mean anything, really. My car, my house, my toys, my, 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 my job, all, my standing in life, all these things. I've got to have all these things right in order to be happy and to have a good life. Jesus said, your life, he said another, it's not in your notes there, but he says, your life consisteth not in the abundance of things you possess. Not in how many toys you have. There's something far more important. We get so focused on non-life or non-soul issues, and we forget to care for that which matters most. H.G. Spafford, some of you recognize that name. He was a successful lawyer and businessman in Chicago. He had a wife and five children. 1871, their young son died with pneumonia. It was in that same year that the great Chicago fire nearly destroyed his business. Two years later, in 1873, Mr. Spafford put his wife and four little girls on a ship bound for Europe. He decided to stay in Chicago a few days longer to tend to some business matters, but planned to catch up with them shortly. Four days into their voyage, the ship collided with another and sunk, drowning most of the passengers in the ocean. Among those lost to the sea were all four of the Spafford's children. Mrs. Spafford managed to stay afloat on a piece of wreckage long enough to be spotted by a rescue boat and was saved. When she arrived in Wales, she sent a wire to her husband in Chicago that said, Saved alone, what shall I do? Mr. Spafford immediately booked passage on the next available ship and left to join his wife. As the ship neared the location where the previous ship had gone down, where his children had died, H.G. Spafford stood on the deck and looked out into the waters that had claimed the lives of his four children only a few days before. Had he joined them, would he have drowned with them? Could he have saved them? What if he had kept them behind with him until he had finished his business? They would still be alive. Here's a man like Job of, of the Bible who lost every one of his children to tragic deaths and had to watch his life's work literally go up in flames. But here's a man with a healthy soul. Because this was the man who then penned the words we still sing today. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. He had a healthy soul. And though he lost his children, though he nearly lost his business, though he nearly lost his wife, and the regret that he would have to live through that knowing that if I'd have kept those kids with me, and yet he was able to sit down and pen these words, it's well with my soul. It's not going well outside around me, but inside me, it is well. He says in another verse, thou hast whatever, uh, the verse we read, whatever my lot, whatever happens to me, God, you've taught me to say, it's well with my soul. Because my life doesn't have to do with the outside things. They're nice and they're great to add some decoration to, but I don't have to have these things out here to make inside here healthy and happy and well. In this year, for you, church, I wish for you to enjoy physical health as John wished for his friend Gaius. 
I hope you have financial success as well as in success in your relationships, in your marriages, your jobs, etc. But most of all, I pray that your soul will be well. This year, focus on having a healthy soul. You don't make New Year's resolutions. You're one of those people that don't. Let me challenge you to figure out a synonym for New Year's resolution and make one of those instead. And make it about having a healthy soul. I want to have a good life. And a good life according to what God says it is. Ask the Spirit of God to teach you where and how you can improve the well-being of your soul. Study His Word. Apply it to your life. Get involved with serving the Lord and serving others. And you'll find, as Gaius did, that no matter what's going on around you, very tempestuous, as H.G. Spafford stood on that boat and sailed over the place where he knew his his daughter's bodies had sunk to the bottom of that ocean, he didn't He didn't have a well day financially that day. He wasn't having a great day. He was all alone in the world until he caught up with his wife. But he said inside, it's well with my soul.